The scripture uh, for today is Matthew 5, 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. We are walking through, verse by verse, the Sermon on the Mount. And really the Sermon on the Mount is one of Jesus' only sermons that He preaches in a monologue style fashion to His hearers. And what He comes to do is to announce what His kingdom is, what it looks like, and how it lives in us. And so, he sets up the Sermon on the Mount by talking about the characteristics of how his kingdom works inside of his people. He talks about the Beatitudes, that blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn over their sin, blessed are those who are merciful and hunger and thirst for righteousness. He talks about how the kingdom lives in us, and then he begins to talk about how it lives through us. And then we get to this place where the Sermon on the Mount takes this turn where it talks about how the kingdom of God looks in contrast to the world. He says that there'll be persecution for those who stand for the kingdom and live in the kingdom, and that we are supposed to be salt and light in this world. Now, Jesus takes the law, uh, the the Ten Commandments in particular, and He begins to press them into the heart. Because many times we look at the Ten Commandments and we think, okay, yeah, that's good. Do not murder. That's that's good. That's helpful. You know, thanks for that, God. You know, we're not all killing ourselves like we could, but He takes this commandment that we're looking at today and He presses it in and shows us that we're guilty of breaking and violating this commandment even when we haven't actually shed the blood of someone. And so it just gets really interesting as we look at this. Jesus says this. I'll just remind you what it says here. He says, you've heard it said uh, of those of old, you shall not murder. So he'll kind of start by, by addressing the command, but then he'll, he'll, he'll kind of flip it on its head and say this, but I say to you, whoever is angry is liable to judgment. And what he's meaning by this is this. Anger is like murder of the heart. Anyone who's ever murdered anyone, it started with being angry in their heart. And so while I could look at a lot of things today, uh, I'm going to park on this concept of anger today that, uh, that all of us deal with. And I wanna, what I want to look at is the, the righteousness of anger, if you will, and then how, how that's distorted a lot of times and how that relates uh, to us. So I want to start out by just sharing an example of you know, uh, my week a few weeks ago, uh, I uh, was driving down Scenic Highway. Enough said, right? Scenic Highway. I was driving down Scenic Highway at 5.15 a.m. Remember that timestamp. 5.15 a.m. I'm driving down Scenic Highway and I'm headed to a sacred meeting. It's in the woods in my deer stand. I'm headed down to Conyers to go hunting this morning and I was even listening to a sermon 
on the way to the sacred meeting in the woods with God and His creation. And an ambulance was coming down the road toward me. Now, Scenic Highway has uh, four lanes uh, at least. <laughs> and, uh, and, and this ambulance, for some reason, cuts over into my lane. And you know he's got the lights on and the sirens. And he's headed straight at me on Scenic Highway. I, you know, I'm listening to my sermon, I'm kind of worshiping in the Spirit. All of a sudden, I see this ambulance coming at me. I whip it over and I swerve to the slow lane on Scenic Highway, and there's a car next to me. Oh no. So this car sees me whip it over, and he kind of whips over into the emergency lane. And, uh, and I would like to tell you that that was it. But that was not it. We pull up to the next red light. We, we don't hit anyone or ourselves. The ambulance gets by. I'm sure whatever was happening in the ambulance was really important and pressing. They got by, probably went to the hospital. And uh, I pull up to, to the stoplight, and it's one of those situations at the stoplight where like, I'm, you know, I know that I've kind of done something wrong, but I didn't really have a choice. And this guy is up in his truck, and there's like, there's like two cars in each of us, uh, in front of each of us, and so I have to pull up, and I can either be the awkward guy that kind of stays behind the truck, you know what I'm talking about? And there's like a big space, or I can, you know, kind of man up and come up next to the car, and so uh, I do that, and the guy has his window down, and he is halfway out of his truck, like trying to grab my truck out of his window, screaming and yelling at me. So you know what I do? I put the truck in park, I get out of the truck, and I walk over to his window. Come on, y'all didn't think I did that, did you? <laughs> but you know what you want to do in those situations, right? Sometimes you're like, man, I, I really blew it there. This guy followed me for seven miles at 5.15 in the morning because he was so angry about something that happened that I couldn't control. There has to be something more going on inside of us when we respond that way. Because I would, I would love to tell you that I've never felt that way before like that guy did. But I have. And so have you. And I'd like to tell you that I've never rolled down my window and said things like that guy did, but I've done things like that before, and so have you. And so what I want to look at today is I want to look at two things. I want to look at the heart of anger and the redemption of anger. Those are my two points. So here we go. Let's dig in together at the heart of anger. So this is a a different way of looking at anger than I ever have in my life. And uh, it's come through studying the Scriptures and looking at how God views anger. Uh, and so uh, I'm tempted to come in here and tell you this this morning. Don't be angry. Channel it. Control it. Hide it. And I confess to you that I would be more comfortable having uh, myself and my family uh, appearing not to be angry and uncontrollable types of people without ever addressing the root cause and issue that's going on underneath that. But that's just as dangerous of a place to be. It may do us a little good for a while, but it will not bring healing and redemption to our emotional life. Uh, the big idea of where we're going today, and kids, you can write this on your bulletin here, is, is one that's going to require some explanation, okay? Anger is a byproduct of love. Some of you are like, yes, I knew I was loving my wife well when I was young. <laughs> Anger is a byproduct of love. So well, here's what I mean by that. It's proof that love exists because you get angry when it's threatened. So let's look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 together. We're going to look at verses 10 through 15 here. And here's the context of this passage here is that Moses has just given the Ten Commandments and he's come down off 
of the mountain and God uh, meets him here and he gives some more instruction and he says this in verse 10, Deuteronomy 6 verse 10, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, that promise that he makes in Genesis, to Isaac and to Jacob to give to you, with great and good cities that, listen, you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God, and you shall fear Him. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and He destroy you from the face of the earth. Wow. So what's He doing in this passage? He's reminding them that God has been gracious to them in ways that they don't even understand. Listen, you're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to eat the fruit of vines that you didn't plant, you're going to drink from cisterns that you didn't dig. All this has been done for you, and this is all part of my purview and plan. I've, I've done this on your behalf. But then there's this, this key verse. Take care lest you forget the Lord. What he's saying here is that there is a tendency within each and every one of us to forget the Lord in every single thing that we do every single day of our lives. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian yet. You have a propensity to forget the Lord in things that you do. And when you forget the Lord, something else becomes the center of your life. And when something else becomes the center of your life, your emotions, your actions, your behaviors, everything follows and serves the center of your life. No matter what it is, you will serve it. So the Scripture goes on to say that God is jealous And we tend to think about jealousy as this negative thing that we should avoid. And God said it's a very natural response. And it's a natural response to something that belongs to you when it is is taken away or when it is misconstrued or misinterpreted or misapplied for anger to be stirred at that thing being taken away. Because when, when, when we forget who we are, are, we forget who He is, we forget who we are, and we forget how to live. And uh, the truth about us is this, is that we belong to God, and He has made us for Himself, and He calls us, and do you know why He does that? Is it so that we can serve Him and build great big nice temples for Him? Is it so that we can give Him lots of money and make His name famous? No, He made us because He loves us. That's the only reason He made us. You can read that in Deuteronomy 6 and 7. He looks at Israel and he says, listen, it wasn't because you were the greatest of all the peoples of the earth. We've chosen the Egyptians, you know. It wasn't because you had all of this stuff together. No, it was because I loved you. Is why I chose you. It's because I love you. And when anything, when, it, when anything in us, when our emotions and our passions in the center of our life are aimed at anything other than God's glory, God gets angry because we belong to Him. You and I get angry 
And it's a very natural response. We get angry when things that belong to us are threatened. And there's a threatened sense of loss that we might lose whatever it is we love. We get angry. So you take it to the guy in the traffic. Maybe his control was threatened that day or his sense of responsible driving was threatened that day because of how I swerved into the lane. And so he responded. In that moment, maybe God wasn't at the center of his life. I don't know. I could give you examples from my life. You could give me examples from yours as well. And it, it bothers us when we look at this Deuteronomy passage. We look at the last verse. For the Lord your God in, in your midst is a jealous God. And this last verse, we'd like to cross this one out and take it out of the Bible. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against your sin. No, be, be kindled against you and He destroy you from the face of the earth. We don't like an angry God if we're honest, alright? This is why Jonathan Edwards, who preached that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, I mean, he got torn apart. But it was the, it was the sermon that really set the sparks for the first great awakening in, in our country. God used His Word. We don't like a God that's angry. But the truth about us uh, is this, is that if we don't have a God that can get angry, we don't have a God that loves. That's the reality. God gets angry because what He loves is threatened and it, and it, and it, and it, and it loses its focus in the center of his life. If, if God was never angry, how could God really ever love? I mean, if, if we broke our relationship with Him because of our sin and it didn't infuriate Him, would He really love us? I mean, would you rather God just smile as you are on your way to hell? God gets angry. God gets angry because He loves us so much. And God is jealous because He loves us so much. God loves us so much that when we love the wrong things, it angers His heart because He knows it's not best for us. Our problem, let's transition this to us now, okay? Our problem is not that we get angry, okay? Your anger is not the problem. Some of you are like, awesome. Your anger is not the problem. Our problem is that we get angry at the wrong things which reveal that we love the wrong things more than we love God. That's the issue. Tim Keller says it like this, anger is love in motion toward a threat to that which you love. Let me say that again. I don't think it's on the screen. Anger is love in motion toward a threat to that which you love. So there's something that you love in your life is threatened. And you, for that moment, you think that you might lose it, and so you respond in a jealousy and an anger. That's how we respond to it. And when we get angry, these lesser loves in our lives are threatened. And when there comes an opportunity where they could be taken from us, whether it be, you know, kids, a toy, a chicken nugget. I mean, I've seen some serious fights for some Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets. I mean, have you had them? I mean, it's right, rightfully so. Maybe it's a spot on the team, a game. Maybe it's a job, a promotion, a comfort, a certain lifestyle that you had in mind that you're this age and you should be living like this and you're not experiencing yourself living like that. It's threatened because you have this idea of what life should look like. And life has this way of disappointing us all so that we can see Jesus as Lord. 
It's the most beautiful thing that God could ever do to us. So you think about your life right now. You think about the idea of what your life, what you thought your life would look like. And I guarantee you that in each and every one of us, there's some disappointment there. And when that disappointment is exposed, that's probably where you start getting angry. It's probably where you start getting angry. So, all right. Your issue and mine are rarely on the external circumstances. It's not that I swerved and cut that guy off in traffic. But often the issue is how these things rank in our heart. Like St. Augustine said it like this. He, he talked about this idea of disordered loves. That we fall into sin when, when our love is disordered, when they come in the wrong places in our life. So, you know, there's that old, old song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus look into His wonderful face. And it says the things of the world should go strangely dim in light of His mercy and grace. I have a friend of mine that kind of changed the lyrics to that. And he said when the things of the world take their rightful place. The things around us, the situations, the people, they're not the problem. It's the place that they're in our lives that are the problem. And Jesus came to reorient us around Himself and God's glory so that we might live as God intended us to live. So your anger is a dashboard sign to trace what you really love, is what I think. So what is it in your life, church? This is where the rubber meets the road. What is it in your life that draws out your anger? What is it? Because whatever it is draws out what you really love. It draws out what you really love. And what this reveals is what we love and how much we love what we love. And, and, I, and I, could, I could say this with pretty good confidence. God is fully committed for your sake to uprooting whatever that is. It is a joy to Him to uproot whatever you love more than Him. To tear it apart, to blow it to smithereens so that you can have Jesus. He is fully committed to that. So our problem in the church uh, is not that we're angry and jealous. Frankly, some of us tend to jump in the other ditch where we don't really get impassioned about anything. And we think that that's a safer, that's a safer place to be. Listen to what some of the early church fathers said. St. Thomas Aquinas said this, lack of the passion of anger is a vice. What? Excuse me? It's a, it's a vice because you lack anger, he says. Because a man who truly and forcefully rejects evil will be angry at it. The lack of anger makes the movement of the will against evil lacking or weak. He's saying, if you don't get angry ever in life, there's no way you're going to be able to, 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 to take on the enemy in the power of the Holy Spirit. You were made to be emotional to respond. If the things that grieve God's heart do not grieve our hearts, we'll do nothing about it. John Chrysostom says it a, a similar way. He says this, He who is not angry, whereas he has cause to be, sins. So if you don't get angry where God calls you to get angry because He gets angry at those things. It's the same thing as being explosive. It's the same ditch. It's a different ditch, the same, same reason, he says. He goes on to say this, for unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. It fosters negligence and incites not only the wicked, but the good to do wrong. I share these with you because some of us believe that falsely that it's better to be indifferent and passive than to get ang angry at a situation where God would be angry at. Now we're going to talk about what that anger needs to look like, but I'm here to tell you today that 
but God has made you to respond. And so when you respond in anger, it's because God made you to respond in anger. The question is, what is the source of what makes you angry? And is it Jesus or something else? So there's, there's three ways to be angry. First one is this, no anger. This isn't biblical. This isn't biblical. The Scriptures don't say in Exodus 34 that, that God was uh, never angry. It says that He was slow to anger. That we could count on Him because He was so faithful to be slow to anger. So, if God lives inside of each of us through the power of the Holy Spirit because we've called on His name in faith, the slowness of anger lives inside of us as well. It's there. It's present with us. I mean, think about it this way. When we jump in this ditch of thinking, if I was just passive, it would just be better. How did sin enter the world in Genesis 3? Through a passive man. Through a passive man. And I, and I, I just want to speak to men for a second here. Your passivity causes some of the most damage in your family and your relationships, just like mine does, okay? Um, that, that God calls us to respond and engage in some areas where we don't do it. And we think it's better that we don't get engaged at all. But really, it's not the answer at all. And, and as John Chrysostom said, it's the hotbed of many vices where men are supposed to speak and they don't speak. We're called to engage. The second way that we could be angry is this, explosive anger. This is the form of anger that we are most uh, accustomed to seeing and experiencing in our lives. Uh, it, it's easy to spot this type of anger because uh, you don't want to have anything to do with a person that responds this way. And other people, if, if you respond this way, other people don't want to have anything to do with you when you're behaving this way. It's not that you... <laughs> Are, you know, are, are washed up and no good anymore. It's just when you get in that moment. And so maybe some people kind of walk on eggshells around you because they know that if that button gets pushed, you're just going to blow up. That is a very dangerous place to be. So the question is, how do you know if you are an explosively angry person? Ask the people who love you and know you the most if that's true of you. If that's true of you. Because it is doing so much harm in your relationships right now, in your marriage, in your relationships with your kids right now, you probably don't even see all the devastation and all the impact. So explosive anger, that's another way not to be angry. So the biblical way to be angry is this. Slow anger. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. This is, now, now this passage of Scripture right here is... is, is um, mirrored all over the Old Testament. God's character is seen all over the Psalms. The same exact language. Language that we should remember about who God is in His character. It says this, the Lord passed before Him and proclaimed. He passed before Moses here and proclaimed this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. That's who His character is. That's who He is. Slow to anger. It doesn't say no anger. It says slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers and on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but God will pour out His anger upon sin. The question is, where will you be found? Will you be found in Christ who has all of God's anger at sin poured out on Him? Or will you be found standing alone 
guilty of transgressing against the holy God. So to kind of wrap up this point, um, here's what I want you to know. You should be angry at certain things. The worst thing that you can do is explode or suppress and then explode when no one else is expecting it. We've got, to, we've got to learn how to channel this. I was, I was sharing life with a group of uh, young boys here at Richards Middle School, and, and this, you know, I, I just got fed up with my boys this past week, if you want me to be honest with you, because they were, they're like all in, you know, ISS and stuff and getting in fights, and you know, they're seventh grade boys, and so they're kind of going after it. And I came in, I was like, boys, you know, ISS is just jail for middle schoolers, don't you? That's supposed to be funny. Um, and so I kind of threw that on him and I was trying to kind of muscle him around to behaving the right way. And, uh, and I, so I just asked him, you know, what makes you angry? And they began to start giving some, ang- uh, some answers like, you know, the kid that picks on me in class or, you know, that, that girl that always gossips about me or, or whatever it is. And they were all kind of like symptomatic relationships. And finally I pressed into one. I said, what makes you angry, man? And he kind of paused for a second. He said, Ryan, you know what makes me angry? The fact that I've never met my dad, that makes me angry. The fact that my mom has been on drugs and I've seen her arrested. The fact that she's back with him now, but the fact that he and his siblings have to bounce around from house to house, it makes me angry, Ryan. You know, I looked across the table at him and I I said his name and I said, you should be angry because those things grieve God's heart too. More people in our lives need to hear this. That there are reasons to be angry. It is when things grieve God's heart, they they, they should grieve our hearts as well. But the problem is, a lot of times, we get angry at the wrong things. Something that really grieves God's heart, we'll be real indifferent about. And we'll get real angry about something like, you know, being at a restaurant and, and having to wait longer than we should. And so we'll go give the hostess a piece of our mind. You know what I'm talking about? It's a disproportionate anger, and it reveals a disproportionate love within us. So let's look at the the second point of this sermon today. It's the redemption of anger. God is angry at sin. And um, because He's angry at sin, He's angry at sinners. Here's Here's the truth about people in sin. It's, it's this. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We are born with this original nature that chooses sin every single day, and God has to give us a new heart to change any of that in us. And so God in His anger does something that you and I would never do in our anger. You know what He does? He loves perfectly. He loves perfectly in his anger. He sacrifices fully in his anger. Those two live fully within him in full measure. We're going to look right now at the most angry day in the history of the world. And it wasn't even a Monday. It was a Friday. It was a Friday. The most angry day in the history of the world meets the most loving day in the history of the world. Listen to this text from Matthew 26, 38-46. Then He said to him, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with Me. This is Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
He is praying. He's, they've just experienced the Lord's Supper. He, he, he's, he's, he's changed the Passover to the Lord's Supper and, and, uh, and sent that forth. And then they've made their way out of the city of Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley over to Jesus' favorite place to pray, the Garden of Gethsemane. And when He's there, His disciples are with Him. And Jesus has been delivered up into the hands of the betrayer. Judas has gone. He's went with, with the money bag. And He's found the guys that are going to put Jesus to death. And they're negotiating at this time. And Jesus finds Himself in the garden trying to pray. And I want you to notice how He prays and what He prays about. He mentions this idea of the cup. If possible, take this cup from Me. In the Old Testament, when you look at this idea of the cup, it's the cup of wrath is what he's talking about here. Listen to how he prays for God to take it away, but yet how he obeys God. Listen to this. He says, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He's speaking to his disciples. And going on a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, Abba, Daddy, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. We see the humanity of Jesus in full effect here. Nevertheless, not as I, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleepy. How disappointing that must have been for him. And he said to Peter, So you couldn't watch with me for an hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away to pray. And what did he pray? My Father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He, he prays again because he's not, you, you see, the, you see the, the flesh alive in Jesus. You see the Spirit alive in Jesus leading him to obedience. You just see the war within him and he's praying and he's asking God, if there's any other way, please. And again, He came and He found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, He went away and He prayed for the third time. And He said the same words again. Then He came to His disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the day that God in His love poured out His full measure of His wrath and His hatred against sin. He poured it all of the way out for anyone who would ever call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. He covered their sin on this day. He didn't withhold anything from His Son when He poured out His wrath. Not an ounce! Not an ounce did He withhold. He covered everything! Not an ounce did He withhold. When we got the chance to kill God, you know what you and I did? We took it and we killed Him. We murdered the Son of God. But in God's providence, it was all for His glory and our glory. He knew that we would kill Jesus when we got the chance. And that that's the way we'd actually be saved by faith. The beauty of it is, is that the angriest day in the history of the world revealed the perfect love of God freely given for sinners. Some of us, church, we walk around like God still wants to punish us for sin. We walk around 
Like there still is something left to do to pay for our sin. And I'm here to tell you today that there's not. And when we live like there is, we diminish the cross of Christ and make it less than it really is. Jesus came to endure the full wrath of God against sin, the full anger of God against sin. Get this, in His love. In His love. Anger and love are always connected. God's anger is slow. And what God's slow anger means for us in this is that He was slow to anger in the sense that He didn't pour it out until we had adequate provision so that we could still live. That's how gracious God is. And some of you in here today, uh, you, maybe you've not trusted the name of Jesus. And, and the clock's ticking down because Jesus, here's what will happen. Jesus will return. And, and, um, and He'll come with the Revelation you know, 21, 22 picture of judgment for sinners. He'll do it. And, and we'll either be found in Him having endured the wrath of God's anger against sin because we're found in Christ, or we'll be standing alone. And this is what the prophecies say about those that will be want to hide under rocks to hide from God. Church, we have another way. We can hide in Jesus. And we can be fully convinced. You're free to be fully convinced today that Jesus has paid for your sin. That He has endured the cross on your behalf. God is so patient with us. So you should be so delighted today if you are in Jesus Christ. Because God is not mad at you. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's changed you. And your heart is new. And it's able to love. And it's able to, to hate the things that God hates. To be angry about the things that God is angry about. So I just want to, I just want to quickly give us some things to take away today from this. And I think we've got to learn how to trace our anger. We've got to, we've got to learn how to look at what makes us angry, chase it back to the heart, and see what we actually love. And then we've got to learn to repent of the things that make us angry that don't make God angry because those are the places that we're in sin. And then we've got to learn how to walk in Jesus in light of that. So one of the most helpful verses for me comes from Ephesians chapter 4 about anger. And, and guys, I say this not as a guy that's pointing his finger at you, but as a guy who needs to be pointing his finger at myself because I have been an angry man in my life. By God's grace, I'm not as angry as I once was. Uh, I was a really angry, I've told you guys stories about me getting, you know, two technical fouls in a basketball game in fifth grade and getting thrown out. I mean, that was me. I was that kid. I was the kid that nobody wanted to be around because I was so angry. And Jesus came and dealt with it and I'm doing a lot better now. So there's hope for you too if you find yourself in that place. So here's a, here's a few things. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. Be angry and do not sin. Notice again, he doesn't say don't be angry. He says, be angry. There's a way to be angry and do not sin. And then he gives this kind of couplet here to help us not be sinful in our anger. And he says this, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This is really helpful for us because the longer that we stay angry, the longer that it roots in us and the more bitter we become and the more sinful we become. I take this as a very literal verse. Okay? It, 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 it drives me absolutely bonkers. My conscience 
bonkers whenever I go to bed at night and I know that someone has something against me or I have something against someone else. And I pray honestly the same thing for you, that it would, that it would, the conviction of your conscience would be so thick. Because this is a threat against your joy in Jesus. The longer you live with unresolved anger, now there's only so much we can do, I get that. But I'm just saying we've got to own our part in this, and the Holy Spirit has to do the rest. So a couple points here, three points actually, on how to trace our anger. Confront it quickly with God and with others. Let me say this. Do not be passive about the things that God is not passive about. There are some things like ridicule against ourselves that maybe we need to learn to be a little bit more passive about. A Facebook conversation that gets sideways. Maybe we need to learn to be a little more passive in those things. We need to learn to be passive about the things that God is passive about and active about the things that God is active about. So what, t- what things do you tend to overlook that the Bible seems not to? What is it for you? I mean, are, are, you, are, you, the, are you the person that, that you know, you kind of get into this place where you, get, you blow up when things aren't on schedule like you think that they are, yet you neglect the fact that, you know, that there's women and children being trafficked in downtown Atlanta and that doesn't grieve our heart at all? There has to be a... a, a um, a reapplication of the things that God is passionate about in our hearts. And this is what the Holy Spirit comes to do. It's not up to you to figure this out. It's up for you to live in light of the Holy Spirit and let Him change you. And the way that He changes you, is what we get from the Scriptures, is that we confront anger uh, and, uh, uh, and conflict very quickly. Uh, Matthew 5, the Scripture we're looking at today, says it another way. He says, okay, we, we get in Matthew 18 that if we have something against someone else, we should go and confront them. And if that doesn't work well, we should bring someone else with us. And if that doesn't work well, we should get the church involved. We get that. But what about when somebody does something to me? Do I have any responsibility then? Matthew 5 seems to think that we do. Listen to this. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. So not that you have something against your brother, but he has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So what he's saying is that the best worship that you can offer God today is not what you sing, not how well you preach or how well you fellowship or how many zeros are on the check that you write today. That's not the best way that you can worship. The best way that you can worship is to let the reconciliation that you have with God through the work of the Holy Spirit reconcile you to other people. The Holy Spirit has to reconcile us with others that we're angry at, but we have to do our part and participate by confronting the situations. So we've got to confront it quickly. Oftentimes, when, whenever I fail to do this, it's, it's because of this church, that I am so concerned with being right in a situation that I forget how I've been made right with God. Did you hear that? In those situations where I don't want to let go and I don't want to be humble, it's because I'm so concerned with being right in a situation. And at the expense of that, I forget how I've been made right with God. Because when you tend to look at Jesus and what He's done for you, the angriest day in the world, the most loving day in the world, that Good Friday, when you look at that, it tends to melt the things that you used to hold on to. And they kind of disintegrate in your hand. This is what God has come to do. Second thing is this. Let the love of God channel the object of our anger. I've kind of already said this, but... 
As we see Jesus more and more, we realize more and more what grieves His heart and we are free to respond toward those things in a slow type anger. The things that grieve His heart. Thirdly, express slow-hearted anger toward others. People, everyone in this room has been hurt deeply by other people. And here's the good news. People are going to hurt you probably even more as you live life. And the reason that that's good news is because there's grace for that when you experience it. What you need to remember when someone sins against you and they hurt you deeply is a couple things. One, that they are made in the image of God. That they reflect God even if they are not living redemptively in His purposes. That there is innate image of God reflected through their lives that we need to acknowledge. And even though they may hurt us and they may damage our reputations, we are not called to return to anger in those things. Jesus, was His name was, was drugged through the mud. He was spit at spat at. He was mocked. All of these things happened to him and he wasn't angry at those things. He was angry at the things that grieved his father's heart. The sin and injustice all around him. So what slow anger will probably tend to do in us is to make us a little less responsive when we think about ourselves and protecting ourselves and make, it, and make us a little more responsive when we think about others. That's what slow anger tends to look like. So as you leave today, uh, what I'm not telling you is to not be angry. Uh, and I'm not giving you a license to blow up. God's not doing that. But what, uh, what God is giving you permission to be is to be yourself in light of who He is and to walk in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit no matter what life throws you. And that's really good news for us today that we can be angry and not sin and that God can love us even as we work this out. So let's pray together. Our Father, we, we come to You today and we, uh, we thank You that grace is ours and that, um, that You didn't hold anything back when You dealt with sin. And that, that our anger should be uh, an encouragement to us because it shows that we have a pulse and we actually love things. God, what we need Your help with, what we need the power of Your Holy Spirit to do is to redeem those things that we're angry at. Um, Lord, I even pray right now, there are some people in this room that they walked in here this morning and they are mad as fire right now. Probably for some legitimate reasons. Probably for some illegitimate reasons. And God, I pray that You would meet them right now in a very special way that they would be met knowing that they can lay it down at the foot of Jesus and And God, for those that have things against us, we pray that the power of the Spirit would work in their lives as well in ours. And God, even as we come into this time of the table, I ask that You would would confront us in love. And You'd show us that we don't have to pay people back for their sin against us. That we have power through the Holy Spirit to forgive. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.